This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we travel to France and discuss Ratatouille. Everyone in this movie has identity issues, listening to who the world told them they were. And the antagonist in this movie is just the fear of believing who they could be. But creativity is seeing a world that doesn't yet exist and working to make that vision a reality. And when we embrace our unique gifts and passion, we transform ourselves and the world around us. Pull up a chair, pour yourself a glass of something delicious, and let's discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me via the loom, via the Zoom. I don't think you're, you're, you're not looming or knitting or weaving out there in Colorado, <laughs> are you? Technology there. Oh. <laughs> Actually, it's really old technology. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> is uh, Alan Arnold. Hey, Alan, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you, man. I'm excited to talk about a movie that uh, people may not have seen, at least in a long time. And maybe through this conversation, they'll go back to it with some fresh eyes. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in several years. Um, probably, I don't know, because I my kids have outgrown that sort of stage of it. So we are talking about Ratatouille. Came out in 2007. So it's still a fairly fresh, still a fairly new uh, Disney movie. I can't remember if it's Disney or Pixar, and I get confused. Pixar. Yeah. But it's all under the Disney umbrella now. It's on Disney Plus. And- right. But it's an animated movie. And so this is this is our second one. This is our second animated movie we've ever done here. The first one was Shrek. So definitely that's an animated movie, but probably more of an adult movie more than Ratatouille, which. I'm getting into the why we're doing this as, you know, as opposed to we just did Man from Snowy River or Tender Bar or even Empire Strikes Back. When you talk about movies for men to watch and love, Ratatouille <laughs> is not, probably not high on a lot of their lists. But what I love about having you on, Alan, is you all, we we always push the envelope on what it is. I know um, men should be watching. Right. So what we're saying to them, Paul, is not necessarily, oh, this is a great movie to watch with your kid. It is that. But what I think we're saying more is this is a great movie for you to watch for your own heart and soul. Like it's not a lower level thing that you can get a little bit out of that's better than, you know, maybe um, some goofy kids movie that you kind of have to sit through and can't, can't stand it. And this is a Mickey saves Christmas. (laughs) That one's terrible. Or the Minion movies, you know, like <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but this is something that it, I think when you see it in the mythic way, we're going to talk about it. Like it is a deep, deep movie that actually is one kids can get pulled into because of the animation and the fun action and things like that. But 
it's got some deep adult themes that are for a man's heart and soul. So I I'm excited to like rethink it in those terms for listeners, even if they've seen it a couple of times, or it's been a background movie, you know, that they walk in and out of that their kids are watching. Like it's one you're going to want to sit down, start to finish and soak up maybe after the kids have gone to bed, you know, for your own heart. Yeah. And it's great. And by the end of the movie, I'm starved. Like I'm ready for lunch or dinner. And (laughs) if you're watching this, you probably want a glass of wine and it's just to, you want to engage your senses, light a candle because this is a very sensory sort of movie, even though it's, a 2d animation movie. There's this, this one scene where Gusto, who's the chef who's dead, who sort of lives in Remy, the rat's brain where he, and he's, he's talking, he's teaching and he's saying that, uh, food is like words you can eat or music Mm. you can smell. Yeah. And so, even though it's it's on a screen, it feels very sensory. It involves the senses. There's this, this part early on, and it happens a couple of times where, yeah, Remy is the protagonist of the movie. He's this likable rat who never feels at home in his own kind of rat community, <laughs> always feels different. And, and he loves not just food, you know, because rats eat everything. Yeah. And he's actually very particular and loves the different combinations of food, cheese and mushrooms or spices with things. And when he's eating it, Paul, you know what I love is the the screen behind him goes to black and it's like these swirls of color when he eats a piece of cheese and then he adds the mushroom or whatever the second ingredient might be. And it's different color and different symbols And then he takes them together and it's this like explosion of color behind him showing what his taste buds are feeling. And, and, you know, the sensory element for him. And even if we played a film clip um, for listeners, they wouldn't see that. Right. This, but they'd see it when they watch the movie. But yeah, it's a sense of um, when I love something and am passionate about something, it changes the atmosphere within me and around me in these vibrant ways that others may not notice or see, but I see. And um, that was all like at the, near the beginning of the movie, just to kind of introduce you to what is it that makes this being come alive, Remy come alive. And he didn't hardly have words for it because he grew up in a community of his family and friends, you know, the whole rat community where this was a very foreign thing where it was just grab whatever you can get in the dumpster, eat it. Don't even think about it. It's just, you know, food is fuel is one of the things I think his dad said where to him, food is like a religious experience, you know? So that sets up this great moment at the beginning where it all comes down to identity which is who are we when we can't even find kind of a sense of that we're seen or known by those closest to us, our, our family, our father, our brother, you know, whoever that may be like, none of them really understood Remy and, and kind of looked at him like, 
you know, the brother at one point goes, man, you like good food. You like to read, you know, you, you watch the arts cooking shows and the arts, like we're, it's basically saying we're kind of embarrassed, you know, like you're kind of this uh, outsider, you know, and you're, but to us, we're watching that going, what a cool group of talents and interests this being has, but to him, his identity was being fractured from his community because he felt like he was the only one kind of the oddball who was drawn to these type things. Right. And there was a scene later where his brother uh, shows up and he's just eating. He's like, what are you even eating? He's like, I think it used to be a wrapper of something. Like you mentioned, they just, the, the, the rats are, they're just happy with, with surviving. They're just living off the scraps and the crumbs. And that's like you, you mentioned that the food is fuel and that's all it is. Yep. And and go ahead. No, I just, I I think that's part of how we approach life or even our relationship with God of we're just kind of getting through this. We're trying to get, this is it. We're just doing the best we can. We're taking whatever we can get and we're just, Focusing on not, you know, dying as it were. And, and what Remy is introducing is appreciate what you've got, really savor the experience and see some of the finer things is he's even trying to, he's even, he's like, take, taste this cheese and his brother wolfs it down. Right. No, eat it slowly. Think about what it tastes like. Now eat this, now eat them together. And his brother's like, eh, maybe, oh no, you lost me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And as I watched this movie again yesterday, um, and I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it's been over a year or two since the last time until last night. And one of the things, Paul, that I noticed was in the first few minutes, it really the first seconds on, it sets up the focus on identity. And so Gusto, who is, you know, the chef, who has this world-class restaurant and he's recently passed away, but he has this book, anyone can cook. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of his motto. And so the identity, when you see this kind of video about him in the first seconds of the, the movie, well, you see that he's somebody who believes anybody can be whatever they believe or have a passion for. So that's kind of how he defines identity you can be who you most want to be. Anybody can do. I would substitute the word cook in a larger sense for creative. Yeah. Anyone can be creative. And so it's okay. about cooking. So hang on. So you use that word and I want it because people are like, well, I'm, I've heard it. I'm not that creative. So when you talk about what is creative or when you right. say anyone can be creative, which I've, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in agreement on that. What does that mean? That means, so on a base level, it means our father is God, the creator. Very first way he introduces himself in scripture is as creator. He then invites us as his sons and daughters into co-creation with him. And we do that. That sounds like a big word, maybe, but we do that through our gifting, our passion. If you're a middle school coach, you are shaping and creating an environment where there is in a game, you're moving people into positions and with plays 
and with knowledge where it's going to shape this dance for four quarters uh, to hopefully win the game. And it's skill, it's knowledge, it's seeing what's not happened yet as it could happen. And so with creativity, one of the, the key things is you have a passion about something and you can see what could be before it is. So you might be an architect, you might be a barista, you could be a teacher, a stay-at-home parent, a writer, a poet, an, an artist. But a lot of people will say, I'm not creative. And it's like, well, do you ever spend any time seeing something in your world that could be different or better? And pretty much everybody says, well, yeah. Okay. Well, that is a creative gift. And that is you're seeing what's yet to be. And now you get to enter into it to make that a reality through who you are and what you do. And so whatever that is, we are all creative. Some of us just haven't discovered it or don't believe it yet. But our father, <laughs> the creator birthed us, you know, and we have his DNA. And so I'm a big believer, like in the movie with Gusteau, anyone can cook, he would say. And I spend a good bit of my life saying, yeah, we're all creative. It's just now discovering that because the enemy would love to keep it hidden from us, love to keep us in the dark. Why? Because when we create with God, it's a doorway to immense intimacy with the father and the enemy hates intimacy with God. And he lost that intimacy. And so our creativity is opposed because of what he knows it brings, I believe, with God, which is greater intimacy in the creative act of whatever we love to do, whatever God's given us as a love. And so, you know, the movie starts with that pronouncement from Gusteau via a news kind of summary of his death and, and who he was. And then what's really interesting is right after that, the very first scene of kind of the immediate action mm. of the movie is we see Remy and there's a, there's like a, country home in the middle of nowhere and it's peaceful. And all of a sudden the window breaks and Remy is flying out the window and it freeze frames. And when it freeze frames, he basically says, I'm a rat. I'm hunted. So like there, he's in mid air in this projectile motion going out the window and the movie kind of stops to make that point of this is it, who he believes, how he sees himself. I'm a rat. I'm hunted. And that keeps getting reinforced throughout the movie is he's in, he was in a kitchen in that cottage because he wanted to have access to cookware and ingredients. Yeah. And, and yet the person in there, this woman has a shotgun and it's a funny scene, but, <laughs> but, you know, he is being hunted. He is being uh, thrown out, uh, projected out of there. And so identity with Remy, the lie he believes, I'm just a rat. I'm hunted. Linguini, who is the main guy in the movie. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because I want to, I want to get there. Is that okay. all right? Yeah. yeah. Cause I wanted so, to touch a little bit on, because we're, we're back, we've been going back and forth with identity and creativity mm -hmm. and why they're so intertwined. Yeah. 
And I think that what you just said was so important. Um, both saying, here's the, here's our creativity. It's seeing, seeing a future that doesn't exist yet. Right. Seeing the world as it could be, not as it currently is in whatever form, you know, like you, I love the example of the coach and, and the, the parents and all this. The problem is that is opposed and it's really hard. And right before I wanted to play this scene because I think Gusto says some really important things right before granny wakes up and starts blasting away with her shotgun right before even Remy finds out Gusto is dead. He sees Remy sees Gusto on the TV with some words of wisdom, which I think keep us living like rats quite frequently. Hey, that's Gusto. I mean, look. Great cooking is not for the faint of heart. You must be imaginative, strong-hearted. You must try things that may not work. And you must not let anyone define your limits because of where you come from. Your only limit is your soul. What I say is true. Anyone can cook, but only the fearless can be great. Love it. <laughs> and it, and I even, the, the, the lines that, Anyone can, it's, it comes from your soul and only the fearless. You have to be willing for it not to work, but here's Remy, a rat, a rat, because that's what his colony has defined him as in his soul. He wants to be a cook, but he's afraid to pursue it. He's afraid to do it. He's afraid because everybody tells him, no, that's not what, rats do right and he you know that line gusto said there which i I wrote down for us to talk about is your only limit is your soul well your soul is unlimited like your soul (laughs) is not limited and and so your only limit is limitless basically is is your soul or there's there's no limit is another way to say that and, you know, in, in the movie, looking at it through kind of mythic eyes, again, it's like God is reaching Remy through the doorway of his passion, his, his desire to cook, his creativity, and his imagination. And, and his gift, right? Because he does have yeah. this gift that he can smell things in a way that he can smell with a quality. But again, just like us, that gift isn't something he's earned or learned it's just something that comes naturally to him and that gifting leads to those that using his imagination and his creativity but but notice the gifting paul how it's initially seen but then opposed or or, uh, downgraded because his dad (laughs) ends up taking that gift and, and and gives him the title of like poison sniffer yeah you know, where he, his goal is all the food from the garbage, all the rats run it by Remy and he sniffs to see if it's safe or dangerous, which is like taking your dream and then reducing it down to um, just making sure somebody doesn't die because you're trying to sniff out poison. Right. And that's the opposite of pursuing a life giving, you know, dance with this desire, like, so I loved how the movie even took that because that happens to us in our life where it's like, well, I think I really would like to do this. And then if the enemy can't talk us out of it or 
or cause us to, to in shame, just give up, then there's an immediate attempt for it to be downgraded. Okay. Well, um, you're not going to give up, but you know what? Like, just be happy that, you know, you're in the room where this is happening, but, <laughs> but you're not the guy, you're not the one who's going to make it happen. You're not really going to be on the team. You're sure not going to be the coach or the leader, but you know what? Like now you've got a, a glimpse of this. You've got a, a small role in, in this story and be happy with that, you know? And that's, I think what we saw in that scene with Remy and his dad. And I think that takes us to Linguini because Linguini shows up and he has none of the talent, none of the gifting, none of the creative passion. We don't see it that Remy has, but right. he has something that Remy doesn't. And that's in his, in his, in his biology, in his genes, in his DNA, right? He is the son of Gusto, as we'll find out in the movie. Right. But, but notice like there's this scene, this great moment where when Linguini, this awkward, untalented, clumsy, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, ADD, you know, like always his attention is just kind of everywhere and nowhere and he has no confidence and, and I think ADD people are brilliant. My, two of my sons have ADD, but, but I'm just saying like, it's hard for this guy to focus in this restaurant and he's kind of a mess in, the, in that he's anxious and nervous. And I love when he finally sees that Remy could help him going back to identity of each of the core characters. When he starts there, basically they say, okay, you can be a garbage boy. You know, like your, your way in another diminishment, your way in here is, oh, I'm not giving you a real position, but if you, if you want to give him a title of garbage boy, okay, you can be the garbage boy. He's the truly, you know, the son of the founder. He doesn't really know that. So it's like the son of the king is being allowed in only as the garbage boy. Yeah. And then even when he talks to Remy, and he realizes this, this rat can actually be the genius behind, you know, his ticket to be a chef. Well, it's interesting because he says, you know, you're a rat who can cook and I'm, and he kind of stutters and stumbles and he goes, I'm like a human. <laughs> you know? and it's like, yeah, even it's kind of like his value, you know, like he's pronouncing in Remy, your value, man, you're a rat, but you can cook and you're amazing. And and like in my part of it is I'm a human, kind of like almost. A human. <laughs> yeah. And you go, oh man, the identity and there is this lack of belief in yourself, this downgrading, the shame, um, the feeling of I'm nobody, I, I shouldn't be here. Like you, you. It's a beautiful movie to see all these different characters who are all struggling with identity mm. at their core. It's interesting because as the movie goes, Remy, his, his rat parents, his rat, his dad and his brothers, they're, they're saying they accuse him of being human. And for them, humans are the enemy. He, he doesn't feel human. And yet, uh, out Linguini sort of treats him like that. So he's, He's caught in between worlds where I think many of us feel that way. Like, no, I, 
you know, I think we, we struggle because, you know, it says be in the world, but not of the world. But then what does that even mean? Cause I, I, I'm like a human, right? But I'm, I'm like a son of God. I'm a follower of God. What? And we, I think we, we feel that same, I don't fit there and I don't fit here. Where do I fit? Right. It's kind of that quote that you have used. I don't know if you still do, but um, you know, at the end of the podcast sometimes where it's from the Stephen Lawhead, you know, song of Albion trilogy, where he's like, I'm no longer who I was, but then who am I? You know, it's that uh, I don't belong to this world anymore. And yet I don't fully belong to the world I'm in. I don't see how it all comes together. So where's my identity? And, you know, like with Remy, you're right. Uh, one of the key lines to me was when that he's reunited with his rat family and his dad says, you know, we don't leave our nest. We make them bigger <laughs> talking yeah. about, you know, like garbage and, and collection and, but we don't leave and go do something else. And the dad looks at him and says, maybe you're not a rat, you know, like, which is said not in a positive way, but in a, maybe you aren't one of us in a disowning type way from a father, which, you know, I work in a men's ministry and you do a lot with men and, like there's a lot of men bear that scar in their 50s, 60s, 70s from their dad disowning them or diminishing them. And so we see it play out here from his dad. But from the other side, we see the humans saying, you know, you may think you're a chef, but you're only a rat. Yeah. So the humans are pronouncing him a rat. The rats are pronouncing him a human or a traitor. And and he knows he's not really fully in either camp, fully seen or known or supported. You didn't think I was going to stay forever, did you? I mean, eventually a bird's got to leave the nest. We're not birds. We're rats. We don't leave our nests. We make them bigger. Well, maybe I'm a different kind of rat. Maybe you're not a rat at all. Maybe that's a good thing. Hey, the band's really on tonight, huh? Rats. All we do is take, Dad. I'm tired of taking. I want to make things. I want to add something to this world. You're talking like a human. Who are not as bad as you say. Oh, yeah? What makes you so sure? Oh, man. I've uh, been able to uh, observe them at a, a, a close-ish sort of range. Yeah? How close? Close enough. And they're, you know, not so bad as you say they are. Come with me. Take a good long look, Remy. Now this is what happens when a rat gets a little too comfortable around humans. The world we live in belongs to the enemy. We must live carefully. We look out for our own kind, Remy. When all is said and done, we're all we've got. No. What? No. Dad, I don't believe it. You're telling me that the future is, can only be, more of this? This is the way things are. You can't change nature. Change is nature, Dad. The part that we can influence. And it starts when we decide. Where are you going? With luck, forward.
And so that we see it begins with they're having dinner. And like you mentioned, you're not, you're what if you're not a rat at all? And then what do you know about humans? He's like, let me show you. And they go to this, I guess in France, Paris, Paris, they have these rat killer shops <laughs> or back then. He's like, this is the atrocities that humans can do. We live in a world that the world we live in belongs to the enemy and we must live carefully. And that, that line jumped out at me because I think that's, that's what we do a lot of times is we look at the world we live in is a scary place. It's, we have to live carefully. We have to live almost like a rat underground, just trying for a little bit of cheese. But yeah. it's our decisions. Remember, it goes back to Gusto. It's not for the faint of heart. Right. And it goes back to, you know, when Remy and his dad are talking and they're talking about um, nature, you can't change nature, the dad says. And when Remy says, the part that we can influence, you know, looking back at his past going, I can influence my future in ways by my choices. And it starts with what we decide. And, and I think that that is kind of the breakthrough moment of you have all the gravitational pull to stay doing what every other rat there was doing, which is just living in in garbage and existing in garbage and stealing food and just kind of justifying it and and being happy with it, even though that wasn't true to who he was made to be. And even knowing if I step out in that, the people, you know, like the world I want to step into, they're not welcoming me with open arms. Right. The people that I'm leaving aren't, you know, inviting me into this new destiny. So neither side was saying, come do this thing that you feel passionate about. Both sides were full of reasons why not. And the beauty of the movie, I think, to me, is seeing this being go, but I can't not do this. This is what makes me come alive. And even if neither my family or the work environment, the kind of the world acknowledges this, I'm going to choose to do it and pursue it and be true to myself. And like, that's a beautiful story, whether it's a live action drama (laughs) or an animated movie. And I think our guard goes down even more when it's a little bit of an animated movie. But one neat thing about Remy before we get too far into, you know, like the, the latter part of the movie, I love how with Gusto, he's in his Gusto is in Remy's imagination. And at one point Gusto kind of the Jiminy cricket, you know, figure that's, but imaginary uh, says, I can only be as, I'm only as free as you imagine me to be. Yeah. He's talking to Remy. And, and then he later talks about how you didn't need me, Remy. You never did. Like Remy is projecting this figure, this kind of the sage or mentor, but really it's his imagination that's allowing him to take risk. He's seeing what could be because the chef isn't alive. The chef isn't really talking to him. So in his own imagination, he's actually using that part of his creativity to booster his confidence, to do what he loves. And, you know, Paul, early on when Remy first gets separated from his rat family, when the woman in the cottage has the shotgun and she's going after them, 
Well, Remy falls behind because he's tugging along the book. Anyone can cook. And that slows him down. And then ultimately as his rat family is whisked down the drain and he goes underground into the drain. Like he's Remy is on the book. The book is his raft. So what's keeping Remy afloat is this belief that he can be who he thinks he wants to be and is. And it's a good symbolism of that's what's keeping him alive. That's what's causing him not to drown, to to stay afloat. But it also takes him on a different path Mm -hmm. in that, you know, sewer system, water drainage way than the rest of his family, because he's, he's using his dreams to navigate, you know, the waterway, the book, and that book is the, the theme that he's clinging to with the hope that these three words have to be true. If it's not true, I, I don't know how to live. I don't know who I am if I can't be who I most passionately want to be. And so to me, that's just such a beautiful image of not just three words, but he's using that as his life raft. He's using that as his motto, the chef he's imagining, telling him things that keep propelling him further and further into his dreams becoming real. And it's interesting because when he does finally get to in the sewers, they, he washes up on whatever the shore is in the sewer and he waits, he waits, hoping to hear from his family. Right. And then he gets hungry. And again, his imaginary gusto shows up and he says, you know, I've lost my family. I've lost my colony. I'm, I'll, I'll probably never see them again. And he says, if you focus on what's left behind, you'll never see what's ahead. Right. Yeah. And we, I think, and interestingly, he leaves the book when he starts climbing up out of the sewer. He leaves the book and his family. And as he's climbing, he stops at the first place he sees and he's going to eat a piece of bread and Gusto again pops up and he says, what are you doing? A cook makes a thief takes. Yes. And again, it's a, this thing that if he settles and I think we do that, we get a little piece of hope or encouragement or a vision and we go after it and we sort of settle for the first good looking chunk of bread that arises. And we have a choice of, are we just going to take this? Cause this is what's offered. Or are we going to really go after it? And he see, keeps climbing and then he gets to the skyline and overlooks Paris. He's like, Holy crap, I'm in Paris. And then <laughs> Gusto's restaurants, like I'll block away. He's like, Oh my gosh, you were leading me to your restaurant. Right. And he, when he leaves the book, you know, you talk about when he kind of leaves the book and climbs up, like to me, another great metaphor of you can be, you can study something and have book knowledge, head knowledge, but at some point you have to leave that and have experience and not just read about it, not just read about others' recipes, not just read about this chef's life and his accomplishments but you have to actually enter into your own and that we saw that in that scene. And, um, you know, one of the characters who's a secondary character, but her name is Colette in the movie and, and she's has her own identity issues. Like she's stuck in this sense of women don't get these roles. And so I have to work harder than anybody 
to be here. And that's why I'm here. And, but one of the things she said was when they were looking at the recipe book was she tells Remy, it was Gusteau's job to be unexpected. Ours is to follow the recipe. So notice even like this woman who is fearful that she's worked so hard to, to climb the ladder and she needs to stay there. But one of the things when it comes to creativity, she's revealing about herself is, well, Gusto was creative. Now we have the formula. We just have to repeat the formula. And, and that's so not who Remy was or how he liked to cook and explore and create his own recipes. So I just thought that was a super, we get to see in the kitchen of this restaurant, the various personalities. And I mean, Paul, I see all the time with authors, you know, this sense of I work with writers and a lot of them are like, well, no, these are the rules of the genre. So (laughs) when I write a novel, I have to follow the rules. And, and lately I've been asking them, well, what if, what if that genre had never been created yet? Because there had to be a first person to write the first book in that genre. So they weren't following rules. They were simply writing a story that was unlike any other story. So what has happened to our culture where at some point we said in, in, in the publishing industry, well, there's 10 genres, 12 genres, you know, romance, suspense, paranormal, sci-fi fantasy, <laughs> you know, historical, contemporary. And and it's like, when did we decide that was all? Because I could see God easily going, guys, there's about oh, 150,000 genres. And you guys have settled for 12. <laughs> you know? and, and that's, and so in life, whether you're a writer, a chef, whatever you're doing, you know, I think it's such uh, a lie of the enemy to go, well, somebody else got to be creative. We just get to to maintain. We just get to follow the rules and kind of keep it going. And I want to say to anybody listening, whatever you do, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or whether you're starting your own business or whether, you know, you're right out of college in some new career, like if it's a man-made rule, it's worth asking, is there a better, different way to do it? Because what has been may have worked well for a season and may have a reason, but eventually the people that change the world, they're not simply following the recipe. They're creating their own recipes. And there is times you do follow the recipe. Like to me, Remy knew the book and he could leave it behind. He knew the book. And one of the, the, I think the, the coolest little, sort of crux scene was Linguini gets given a recipe and it's a recipe that sucks. It's horrible. Some seafood weirdness that they're like, this is going to be terrible. (laughs) Yeah. But Colette was like, well, no, we have to go by the recipe because following the recipe is safe because if you fail, you could blame the recipe. Yes. Whereas, or, or as you like to say a lot, you can blame the formula. People like relying on formula. Well, if I do something different and it fails, then it's on me. And so they get to this point and, and Colette's like, no, we have to follow the recipe. And Remy in the little chef, he's like, no, I know this is going to be terrible, but I know how to make it better and make it work. 
And so he tries it, cause gives a little bit of a rift, but it creates a dish that is phenomenal and everybody loves it. And, and, and there is a time where you have to follow the recipe and there is a time you need to, to go outside the box. You need to try it, but know why you're doing what you're doing and what, I guess what recipe you're following. Well, and even right. I think when you're learning a career or a, you know, a new, a new, um, opportunity and you're an apprentice or you're, you know, if you're, if you're working at uh, Taco Bell, they're not asking <laughs> you to, when somebody orders a burrito Supreme, they don't expect you to improvise, like you didn't make your own thing. Like there's a recipe for that and you're hired to crank that out. But if you're dreaming about what your unique imprint on this world is, then you're right. Like you, you, there comes a time when are you doing things in a formulaic way because the motive matters? What? Why? Is it because you're fearful to risk? Is it because it feels safer to just do what's been done? Is it because you don't think, you know, you're kind of like Linguini, you, you just don't think you've got what it takes? Like, why are you drawn to just kind of repeat what's been done before? And at some point, after you know more about your field and, and your calling and, and your expertise, like if you're the coach, at some point, do the play that's never been done. You know, don't just go, oh, this was the play 10 years ago that, you know, was so awesome in the NBA finals. Well, great. That was awesome then. Maybe do it. But where's your original play? Right. That's awesome that people are going to be talking about in 10 years. Like to think that all the best ideas have already been tried and taken. And all we can do is recycle and repeat, I think, is a, is a, is causing a great loss of originality right now in our culture. And I love going back to the idea of parenting, because, again, creativity is about envisioning a future that doesn't currently exist. You know, even as Remy says, so you're saying the way it is now is the way it always will be. And the dad said, yeah, that's rat life. <laughs> but as a parent, you've got to envision a future for your kids. And we all do. But I can't, I'm not called to parent to be the same dad Alan is. Like my kids are different. We're different. If I say, well, Alan did this and it worked for his kids. So if I do that, it'll work for my kids. That's going to fail spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think that we, we, I, I've put a lot of shame on myself because, oh, this didn't happen with my kids or I don't, you know, do devotions like my brother does, or I don't do this like this other guy does. And he, I think he's a great dad. So this must mean I'm a horrible father. It's more of the framework more than the specific recipe of how do you love your kids? How do you lead your kids? How do you guide and discipline them? Yeah. Like those are the pieces of the recipe, but then the, how we do it is our unique expression. Well, Paul, there's this great saying that from Mark Twain that ties into this to me. It just makes me smile every time I think of it or, or repeat it. But he said, tradition is not wearing your grandfather's hat. It's buying a new one like he did. <laughs> Like, I think we start thinking in culture, oh, like 
I'm going to wear what my granddad did because that's tradition. But, you know, but it's the grandfather bought it because it was a brand new hat, not that his grandfather wore it. And so I love that quote because it kind of pulls me into a better way of thinking, which is, you know, uh, Star Wars movies were great. Uh, you know, and I know like a lot of people love what Disney's doing right now and all the different extensions of the franchise. But to me, it's like, at what point do you take the safety net off if you're a creator and create your own world? Like how many iterations of one world? And I know some people might go, well, millions because we love it. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm just saying like, at some point, don't give me your version of Superman you know, create your own superhero. Don't give me your take on, you know, Han Solo, create your own Han Solo, create your own universe, be your own George Lucas. Don't give me one more Indiana Jones, make your own James Bond, Indiana Jones, whoever it is. Like, could we please lose the, what I think is laziness of taking an idea that already has popularity and equity uh, you know, like in the marketplace and going, okay, well now watch my take on this and instead go, why don't you step up to bat fully and give us your original offering that others will want to do their take on because that's, that's new that's creation versus recreation. And so what I'm kind of hitting at here is I think what we saw that I loved in Remy is he was a student of what he loved to do, but he also, there was an art and a joy and a, and a beauty to what he did that wasn't formulaic, that wasn't trying to just, he wasn't trying to be Gusteau, you know, part two. He was trying to be his own unique chef chasing his own love. And so that's, I get excited when people start discovering their own deep creative passion whatever it is they do and start taking risks and start trying new things and seeing with new eyes. Cause to me, that's where dreams become reality and the world actually something changes in the atmosphere because of what God gave us to do and our love for that as we enter into it with God. Again, the reason this is a very, again, we were talking about a loom earlier, so it's woven together. <laughs> <laughs> the the idea of of creativity and i i think that what we're saying is your creativity is your expression of your identity yes and many times we want our creativity to look a certain way or to be you know we talk about your brand everybody talks about your brand even high school athletes and it it's crazy cuz with social media with with all this stuff you're like you're very how is my it's image it's image not identity and, but your creativity is a part of that expression of your identity and it is very unique and it's, it's not going to work every time. There's going to be times where you're like, Oh, that didn't work. I should never do that with my kids again, whether it's a lame game <laughs> night or a trip yeah. or there are things that won't work, Guaranteed. But, but I'd rather try it. Yeah. Um, And it's, so we went, I took my family, we have a brand new major league soccer team, the Charlotte FC. 
first ever first franchise home game was this weekend. And I took my family and my youngest son, he sort of loves soccer, but it's sort of every now and then. And, but I thought, you know, how often do you get to go to the inaugural game of a franchise? There was like 74,000 people there and it was an awesome light show and all this. But I thought about years ago, the person who brought the soccer team had to envision a world where Charlotte had a soccer team. Like yes. that's a huge risk. Right. Like, right. yeah, I was worked in Atlanta, I was worked in Nashville. Let's try Charlotte. Cause I mean, we're, we're not that far from either one of those cities really. And, but to see that the birth of that dream is just, it's a powerful moment and it was fun. And it's to me, we went just cause I was like, Oh, this would be a cool thing to go to. And now it's something that, like we got home and now my son won't stop playing FIFA on the Xbox and <laughs> it sparks something. And so you try something and sometimes it works. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and you're like, Oh, this was terrible. We're never coming here again. Not because the food is bad, but just because your kids don't enjoy it. Right. Right. But it's about putting yourself in that. It's about uh, putting yourself out there, being willing to fail. Yep. And the, and the character in the movie Ratatouille that to me um, starts off symbolizing the anti-risk taker, the anti-creative is Anton Ego. Yes. And he, you know, when we first see him, if you haven't seen the movie, if you're going to watch it again, pay attention when they first show him, he's on a typewriter and on the back of the side of the typewriter, it's an old fashioned one, but it looks like a skull, right? It looks yes. like a skull. And then the very next image zooms out and it's a guy coming like his, not his servant, but kind of his assistant coming in and it's a long red hallway, but it looks like a casket. Yes. You know, visually it's the shape of the hallway is a casket that this guy's walking down in to see Anton and his last name is of course, ego, but um, he's a critic. He's a food critic and he's used to being very powerful, but he later, and we'll get to this, I'm sure talks about in the film though. It's easy, relatively easy to be a critic of what other people are creating and take no risk creating on your own. And part of the, the transformation we see is through Remy's gifting the food sensory aspects bring Anton Ego back to boyhood memories uh, in this in this snobby, uh, antagonistic, power hungry, food cold food critic becomes a little boy in his mind, yeah. and he and he remembers when his mom was giving him this comfort food. And what's a cool scene, Paul, is you know what we see one of the only slow motion moments kind of of the the movie is when he takes a bite and then his pen which is like a sword it's his weapon mm. that attacks you know through reviews any place that he wants to tear down his pen he lets go and it slowly in slow motion falls to the ground and it makes this massive thud like a tree falling and we see him letting go of his weapon that he attacks 
you know, other creatives, other chefs with. And, you know, by the end, he's in back in a state of awe and wonder. And, you know, his last words are surprise me, yeah. you know, when it comes to like what they're going to give him next to eat or to try or to experience. It's not, uh, you better hope I don't rip it apart, you know, mm-hmm. and, and fear me, but it's surprised me. And so we see even in the identity of this, um, you know, I would say the antagonist of the movie really isn't him, but it really is our own lack of believing. It's the fear of who we could be. And, and, and so the, the real antagonist is pushing through the fear of who we wish we were, but are too afraid to step into and, and finally being, you know, even Remy was hiding in the chef's hat under the chef's hat. And so to be fully revealed and fully seen and fully known by his rat family, by the other cooks, by the critic, you know, by, by everyone as his true identity. Like to me, that, that was the fear that everybody had to push through in the movie and let go of all of their trappings and fig leaves and power positions um, or, or humble positions. And so that, you know, I just love though, seeing this guy who was used to, it's, it's easy to critique, right. To tear things down. But it's super hard to create and there's far more risk in creating than, you know, kind of dissing something that you listened to or heard or saw or read. So I love how they even look at it from that angle. And I think that's the purpose of our creativity and our identity. Like he through that food, Remy transported ego back to his childhood but also recaptured his vision and imagination for the future. There could be a different future that exists. And he's like, I don't like, there was a line. He's like, where uh, Linguini said, you're so skinny. You don't even look like you like food. He's like, I don't <laughs> like food. I love it. But he didn't, there was no, no, nothing about him that exuded love for food. No. But right. in that moment of tasting the ratatouille, he brought the joy to what had become joyless. And that's, really good. and that's what, that's what our creativity and our identity we've been placed here on earth at this time to capture our own, to experience that joy and to recapture our joy because it is so easy to critique. And that's the world. It's all about hot takes. And I think this, I can't believe they're doing that. And it doesn't matter what happens. It's a critique of the plan, a critique of the idea. And whether it's um, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, man in the arena speech or Anton Ego's speech here at the end. But what he's saying is the critic really doesn't matter because the critic risks nothing. It's the one who might offer up junk, but that junk is more valuable than what, than me who's saying it's junk because at least he tried. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to break down and that's the enemy, right? Diminishing, tearing down. And we are called to tear down, but we're called to tear down strongholds. We're called to, but we are called to create a new future, a new vision, a new idea. 
and through our specific identity and through our specific gifting and creativity, we not just transform ourselves, we transform others around us and help show them a future that's possible. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. The new needs friends. Last night I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, anyone can cook, but I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusto's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I will be returning to Gusto soon, hungry for more. Well, I just, that's one of my favorite uh, monologues in any movie, um, you know, that, that two minute clip you just played, because there's so much packed into that. One is the transformation of the character, which, you know, takes a whole movie to kind of experience, but, but just for the words we just heard, like, I love how he focuses on how the words of a critic pale in comparison to those who risk creating the new and, and the new doesn't have to be a new, you know, like we're not talking about a new form of transportation necessarily <laughs> like, okay, we have planes, but now let's have teleportation and, you know, pressure's on to figure that one out by next week. We're not talking about new don't, don't set the bar so high that it, it creates paralyzation of even trying but the new of how can you bring something that's been maybe not tried or maybe um, the potential hasn't been seen and you're part of the world and your family and your, you know, don't, don't rely on how it's always been done, but be willing to step into something new and especially in the gifting you have and, and see what happens. And to me that the whole movie was a celebration and an exploration of that, of, Imagine what could be and then have the confidence to step into that. And of course, you and I would add with God, yeah. not in our own strength, <laughs> but step into that with God because he's given you that desire, that gifting and watch what happens and watch the atmosphere around you change for good. 
Yeah, that uh, that's a really great, <laughs> that's a great way to sum it up. Um, I don't think I have anything to add to that, Alan. <laughs> uh, this was uh, this was a real treat watching this again. Uh, like you said, you don't need to have kids to watch it. It's it's a as you like even that last scene, the music in the background, and even that shifts the atmosphere. As I'm sitting here in my office, I'm like I sit back more. I envision sitting, you know, in a in a cafe in France, um, and so just just sort of allow yourself that special treat of what would that future look like? What what would it what what vision has God given you? to have an impact because we all crave that. And like, love that the, the critics, he recognized his power, which he'd been using to, to, you know, he took, he was pride of proud of removing a star from Gusto's, but it was, wait, we do have a, a chance to risk. And that's into the discovery and the defense of the new. So how can right. we, how can we discover new creation, new, ways of doing things and embrace that and encourage that in others maybe because Linguini, despite his genetics was not a cook, but he's a really good waiter and he was willing to embrace and discover something that was really crazy. Right. Like you look at it. If he reacted his willingness to embrace the new kept Remy alive made all of that possible because he had to embrace and take, because he's kind of human, sort of human, but, but his <laughs> allowing that to happen, it didn't make him a great chef. It didn't make him a great cook. It didn't make him a great garbage boy, but it, he was sort of the catalyst to allow Remy to become what he was supposed to be, to allow the transformation of Anton ego and for any everything at the end of the movie, it doesn't happen if Linguini doesn't go with it. Right. And Paul, you know, there was a line in the movie toward the end that said, uh, and I think Linguini says this is a voiceover. The truth sounds insane sometimes. It <laughs> doesn't stop it from being true. Yeah. And so everybody listening, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating territory to, to take that thought that the truth sounds insane, but that doesn't stop it from being true. And then ask yourself, who would you be if the world didn't already tell you who you were? And that's a question I pose to people in the story of with. Um, and, but it's one of the central tenets, I think, of identity is you have to stop believing the lies of who you are and who you've always been told you are and the limits that you've always heard that you have when you stop believing that and start believing, actually, if the world hadn't already told me this, didn't tell me I couldn't do this or wasn't permitted to, or because of my family name or because of my lack of a college degree, whatever it may be that I can't do this, then you can step into who you were born to be. And that may sound insane, but if it's your true identity, it doesn't stop it from being true. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So Alan, thank you once again for joining me on the men at the movies podcast. As we discussed Ratatouille, uh, go watch it, pour yourself a glass of wine or grape juice, whatever your preference may be. And, uh, 
just thanks again for being here, Alan. Oh, I loved it. Thanks, Paul. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Thank you.